What's up, what's up? And welcome back to the Plant Powered People podcast with your hosts, Tony Okamoto and Michelle Kane. Today, we're bringing on to the show, Sean Remy. It was really important to us when we first started this podcast to bring on someone who worked in a restaurant serving animal products. And it was especially important to me because I wanted to share that just because you adopt a plant-based lifestyle doesn't mean that you quit your life. It doesn't mean that your responsibilities go away and you get a whole new job. So if you're working in a restaurant, we really hope this episode is helpful to you. Tony and I are really lucky. We both have full-time jobs working in the vegan space. And so we don't really have to worry about this or think about this, but that's not how it is for most people. Uh, We are so grateful to have Sean on today to talk about how he managed working as a vegan plant-based dude in a non-vegan restaurant and how he was even able to take that opportunity to influence some pretty epic change. Now on to the show. Before we jump in, we had something pretty exciting just happen. We got our first Patreon supporter. Hey, Melody. Thank you, Melody. For those of you who don't know, Patreon is a platform where listeners of our show can support the work that we're doing with a donation that's monthly for even just like a dollar, two dollars a month. And it helps us cover the costs of producing the show and helps us be able to keep this resource free and ongoing for years to come, hopefully. It's been important to Michelle and I to create a super high quality resource so we get all of the episodes professionally edited and we invest so much of our own time and money and we're so happy to do it. But if you could contribute anything, we would be so grateful. Every bit of support really does make a huge impact and will help us reach more people with this podcast. And if you want to support, you can check out our Patreon page at patreon.com slash plantpoweredpeople. We've also got that linked up in the show notes as always, which you can find at plantpoweredpodcast.com. Hello, Sean. How are you doing? I'm doing great. Great. Thanks for having me. So We met Sean in a pretty unconventional way. Michelle and I were doing a video for plant-based news on the Impossible Burger, and we went to a restaurant that's right near my house called Hook and Ladder, and we were looking for a seat, and then Michelle had some specifications about (laughs) the lighting and the noise and the background, and so she goes to Sean, uh, who was our server, and was like, um your accommodations are not good enough. Well, Tony was telling me about this back area of the restaurant that was just beautiful, shaded, quiet, perfect lighting. Like It's really beautiful. Just really beautifully set up. And I was like, hey, excuse me. I don't see anyone out there. Is it possible for us to go out there while we film this? Yeah, there was a big closed sign. (laughs) And Sean's like, are you vegan? Like, I don't even remember how that conversation happened, but... You said you were shooting for plant-based news. No. no, oh, you yes. said, I thought you asked if we were vegan first. No, no, I okay. said we were, we were shooting for plant based news. Oh, and, yeah, and then I was like, plant based news, like plant based news UK, like Klaus. You're oh, like, yeah, yeah. yeah, and I was like, oh my god, I love plant based news. And then you guys were like, oh, you're vegan. I was like, yeah, and then so I went and asked the management, and honestly, they would have said no unless I asked. <laughs> and then instant BFFs, oh, instant, yeah, <laughs> like it was, it was so perfect. That was so perfect because we were going to a restaurant that was specifically not super vegan friendly, but that had the Impossible Burger. So the last thing we expected was the person working there to be vegan and then hooking us up with all the behind the scenes areas. Yeah, And not only that, but to be in the know of plant-based news and the kind of work that we do. And I just thought that was really cool. And not only that, but Sean had seen Michelle at the grocery store and was like, this lady is filming and is like a week before. (laughs) Yeah. I was literally within probably like 10 days of meeting you. I seen you uh, on the phone with your camera and the uh, spice aisle while I was getting nutritional yeast. And I think you're filming the uh, vegan eggs. (laughs) So true. Yeah. Whole foods uh, brings everyone together. So we didn't even meet then, but saw one another and then officially met a week later. How cool. Yeah, that is so cool. And now here we are in my guest bedroom filming this podcast. (laughs) So Sean, tell us a little bit about your background. Where are you from? How old are you? What are you into? Well, I am 33 years old. I'll be 34 on Christmas Day. And I'm from Lodi, California. Oh, wait, really quick question. Do you, 
what, while you were growing up, did you get a birthday and Christmas celebration or did you have to share it all in one yeah. celebration? That's uh, probably one of the most common questions I get asked mm-hmm. whenever the birthday does come mm-hmm. up. Uh, when I was a kid, I was like super poor, but for some reason, every year Christmas came, there was always presents around. I don't know if it was because of the surrounding families, but Christmas presents I would get on Christmas Eve. And then when I woke up in the morning, I would get my birthday presents. Oh, so that's nice. It was, it, that was like kind of nice because, you know, considering the situation yeah. on Christmas, there was always something there. That's really Aww. cool. Okay. So, uh, and where, where did that take place? Where are you from? In Lodi, California. It's about 35 to 40 miles from Sacramento. And what's it like there? From what I know, it's really small and rural. Is that right? Yeah, it's small. I would say maybe 40,000 people possibly in Lodi now, maybe. And it's really known for its wine, if anything. Mm -hmm. And a lot of people go there to even retire and like like on the outskirts of Lodi. Cool. And uh, what did you grow up eating? A typical westernized diet. For example, Just, uh, I don't know, box scallop potatoes, lots of meats, um, eggs, you know, um, American cookouts on the weekends with grandpa, uh, eggs, bacon, biscuits with butter, and um, turkey sandwiches, you know, like I say, that's like the standard way of the 80s, 90s. <laughs> yeah, definitely. And at at any point, did you. Like, did your family have the connection that the food that you put in your body was how you were going to feel? Or was that something that happened totally later? No, that's something that happened later. But one of the things I remember from being a child was asking my family when I was little that food was supposed to be fuel. Why do I always get really tired after I eat this meat? And it was always because you need to eat it now. Just eat it. Like. And so I was just confused because every time I ate meat, I was really tired and I wanted to go to sleep like big time. I feel like a lot of people don't make that connection until they're in their older years and start to have like aches and pains and lethargy from food. Like kids have this magical resilience to be able to like not feel the effects of eating (laughs) like crap. So that's so cool that you were like in tune enough to notice that. Yeah. In one of our episodes, I talked about how I had never even considered food as something more than taste. And it wasn't until I was uh, running track and feeling really awful physically that my coach made the connection for me. And it was mind-blowing. I was like, what? The food that I put in my body, is it affects how I perform and feel? That's amazing. <laughs> but I had never considered it. And I had never heard it. And it was never brought up in my family. And it, that now I, I just think that's really sad. Because so many people feel like you were feeling before or you were tired and not feeling well. Uh, So at what point did you want to know more about that? When I got into my 30s. Okay. (laughs) Yeah, when I got into my 30s, being an athlete wasn't enough anymore. I've always been like skinny body type to the average person. And but I was... I would say malnourished for 30 years. So not eating enough calories. I didn't under eat, but there was days when I ate like one time. So whenever I did eat, I would eat so much food that I would just be destroyed afterwards because I just grew up not having money to be able to buy food and stuff. And what were you eating? You said you didn't have a lot of money. I would eat like cheaper food, but you know, I would be getting um, pasta and doing a whole can of Alfredo sauce, which Nowadays, I can easily eat a pound of spaghetti, but I'm not eating this high fat, high oil sauce or like a meat sauce to where I can only eat like maybe two servings of the pasta before I just felt tired and passed out. So it's a huge difference being able to eat 16 ounces of pasta now. And the difference is you don't get tired after you eat it. You, you're full of energy. Sometimes it's hard, it's hard to eat that much before bed because you have all this energy coming out of your body because it's radiating into heat. And before it was just like, oh, I can't move after I did a workout because I'm so tired when you would just eat anything and not think about what you're actually eating after for recovery or whatnot. So how did you find this information? (laughs) So um, when I got into my 30s and started noticing that um, I started putting on like a spare tire around my waist and was confused because I was exercising so much and I thought I was eating healthy because I got tips from a nutritionist. I ate a lot of processed food. But I guess you consider the foods that I ate to be more carbohydrate 
So the nutritionist was like, you look great at your age, but maybe you should start incorporating some more healthy fats in your diet. So I started eating avocados and almonds and eggs and use a lot of olive oil on my food. And when I first started eating that way, I actually did start slimming out. But then after like a year and a half with, you know, three, 400 miles a week on the bike, which is a lot. Wow. A we, lot. Yeah. Can we pause and talk about just your the level of athletics that's going on during this whole time frame? Oh, yeah. So uh, I started cycling in 2007. Uh, before that, I skateboarded for like 12 years. I was sponsored for a while and I did that. And that was really fun. And then I got into cycling. Long story short, uh, I was on a skateboarding trip. And in my head, I had this idea that popped up and said, hey, guys, what if we all got bikes and rode our bikes across the United States? And they're like, what? Like, we were on the freeway. And <laughs> I was like, yeah, you know how, like, Forrest Gump just, like, got out of the house that one day and just started running because he wanted to. He was, like, so free. What if we got bikes and did that? That'd be really cool to show up to, like, a high school reunion. And instead of saying that we're, like, a president of a Fortune 500 company, it could be like, you know what? I rode my bicycle across the United States. That'd be awesome. And everybody was just like, okay, yeah, that'd be cool. And then the following year, I had lost my car due to some financial issues and stuff. And I realized that I can't skateboard from town to town. I should get a bike. This is the time. So um, I bought two cases of Top Ramen for a whole month. And I saved my checks for a, a month and a half. And I bought my first bike with cash. Like I put a down payment. And then a month later, I walked in with the rest of the cash and paid for my first bike. And I've been riding for 10 years. That is amazing. <laughs> and that's so funny. I feel like I would do the same thing. Like one time I was training for a half marathon and the most I had ever run before was five miles. And we're just doing some little training run. And my friend and I was like, was like, I see there's this ultra marathon that's you run for 12 hours straight. We should do it. And we just signed up that day and had no training. And then we oh went and God. ran an ultra marathon. And it's like, it's some of the coolest things in life happen from those just random moments that you just are like, you have this idea. You have this idea. You're with friends who are like equally crazy and you and just go for it and make it happen. But for you, you had to like go through a lot to make that happen <laughs> to even buy the bike. That's yeah. Amazing. It was intense because I, wanted to buy this like $400 Fuji. And then my friend was like, Remy, I just came from San Francisco. And our friend Anthony from Lodi was a bike messenger in San Francisco at the time. And he was like, you got to look at this type of bike. It's like one gear, there's no brakes. And I rode it before you buy a road bike with gears and stuff. You just got to look at it. Two weeks later, he comes home from City Bikes in Lodi with a, a Bianchi Pista. I rode it around the block three times and fell in love. And I loved the whole idea of like, you're one with the bike and you're pedaling and your legs are in control and everything. And he gave me this brochure and inside there was a Trek T1 from 2007 and it's like Ferrari red with sparkle in it. They actually use this bike in the USA Olympics, like the USA team races bike on the velodrome. And I was like, I want that bike. It was $1,100. Wow. And, but I didn't care. I was like, why would I spend 400 on this and get this one later when I can just wait and get this one. I want this. So I went to the bike shop and had him pre-order it and put a deposit down. And I just ate ramen noodles for a month. And then I have had really cheap busted cars that were cheaper than your bike. Same. I sold my car for $100 once and it wasn't even worth that. <laughs> the radio and it was worth like 75 <laughs> But it's also, I love that this really highlights the amount that we can save over time by cutting back on our food costs, which is a big part of what Tony and I do with our plant-based on a budget like meal plans. But even just without those, like eating the most affordable foods, rice, beans, ramen noodles, which you can get vegan. <laughs> yeah. Uh, and you said this was 10 years ago? Yeah, 2007. I bet you now that you know what plant-based food is and how to cook it and what's available to you, you would have done the cheap budget eating much differently now and instead of getting two boxes of ramen noodles you'd probably get like rice and beans and and make lentils yep, and yeah make nutritious meals rather than that <laughs> oh yeah totally and you know then i didn't know much about nutrition i just thought then um once i started exercising on the bike actually that it didn't matter i just needed fuel i was like i was told by everybody at this time i also um, shortly after started teaching spin at, tw at um, InShape in Stockton, which is like pretty big now. They have them in mm -hmm. Vacaville and Napa. I, love that and place. I, I taught four to six classes a week. So I was spending 20 plus hours a week there and 
20 or sorry, 35 hours a week at Starbucks. And all I could be told was, man, you need, you need more protein, man. You need protein, you need protein from all the instructors at, um, in shape. And so, I mean, I was drinking like protein smoothies, like fruit smoothies, but it was the protein from Starbucks, which was whey protein. That is pretty minute as, as opposed to like eating like meat and all that. At that time, I think I might've had in and out once or twice a month and I was still eating at home, but man. <laughs> so let's fast forward to your, your transition to vegan. When did that happen? How did that happen? And what did that change for you? So it's October now. I would say that um, around Halloween, I would say I was eating plant-based a little before Halloween, but three years ago is when I fully made the decision that I was from this moment on going to be vegan. It had been about a month and a half or so. Like I think in August of 2015, I decided I was just going to cut out meat for a month because I wanted to see how I felt, even though I didn't eat it a lot. I didn't notice a bunch of change. Then when I started thinking about it more, I sat back and thought to myself, I was like, what is my goal here? Well, one, I want to live to be 100 uh, minus accidents. How can I prevent that, but also live that long to see my kids grow up? And so I was like, well, I said I wouldn't give up fish because I love sushi, but I want to be the healthiest, right? So I studied the healthiest way to live on the planet. So one, my best friend's been vegan since he was 20. He's now 43. Absolute stud. He looks like he's like 25. <laughs> wow. And he doesn't have any specific way of eating. He just eats a plant-based diet. And then I looked at someone who's been doing it for, I believe, uh, around 20-something years also. And just started watching it because he actually cycled. And so I was like, I need to see somebody that does this as an athlete because I was told it was impossibly a plant impossible to be a plant-based athlete. So I wanted to make sure that I wouldn't fail. So I started researching for weeks and watched all these videos of this guy. And, you know, my friend that I knew in person never pushed it on me. It was his beliefs. And he's like, you know, I'm never going to push something on you. This is what I want to do. It's my choice. And I really respect him for that now. And when I made the decision to go plant-based, we became so much closer. It was unreal because we'd be on bike rides and I would just be sharing all these ways that I felt and he would be super stoked. And then He's like, dude, why don't you just go vegan? And I was like, I don't know. What if like some of the seasonings or something at my house aren't vegan? And he's like, just read the label. He's like, dude, everything <laughs> you're doing, he's like, you're eating more plant-based than I am. That doesn't even make sense. He's like, you're eating all fruit all day. And then you're, you're cooking starches at night. You know, you're, he's, he's like, dude, you're, you're going to be vegan. And so I just like looked and made sure. And then the next day I called him. I was like, all right, I'm going to do it. I think I got enough information to where I won't fail. And sometimes all you need is that pep talk and support. It seems daunting and overwhelming. And you're like, how am I going to do this? But then someone is like, look, you're already doing it mostly. It's not that difficult, is it? And you're like, no, you're right. It's actually doable. I think I can I can get started. And uh, it's, yeah, it's amazing what a little bit of a support network can do for you. Yeah, especially because so many of us, I would say almost everyone before they make the decision to eat plant-based or go vegan, there's some block in our minds, whether it's cheese or I hear a lot of people say, I could totally go vegan, but I don't, I can't miss my creamer and my coffee. And I'm like, oh my gosh, there's so many creamers out there. Like there's one little for you with spices in your cabinet. And there's always like that little block that you're like, I couldn't, I'm not sure what I would do about this little thing. So I'm going to abandon the idea altogether, Mm -hmm. Um, which so silly, go vegan except for cheese or whatever, you know, (laughs) and start with that. Sometimes it's even experiences. Like for me, I was a nanny before I, before I became vegan. I was already a vegetarian and they fed me for free at any time I was working and I would eat whatever the kids were eating. And I felt like I was going to be such an inconvenience to them. And like, then I wouldn't get that free food anymore, which I relied on. And, and so it made me feel like, oh, I can't be vegan, <laughs> but I could have been vegan at home or been vegan when right. eating out when I was paying for it. But instead I, I had this huge block and I was like, oh, can't be vegan. And I, I actually made it work and it was inconvenient for a while. But over time, we all, I worked with them for five years and, and over time, we all got on board with how I, how I can be accommodated, which was really cool. That's awesome. Yeah. I, I, the experiencing you were talking about. So I had another friend 
who is plant-based now and was plant-based when I moved to Sacramento in 2012, I didn't really know much about like veganism itself other than you just don't eat meat, dairy, and eggs. But the experience I had with my friend when we lived together was like, why would you eat that peanut butter when you can't even pronounce anything on the, on the label? And it was so, it was like such a negative approach that it never even like inspired me to even like be curious. And it had, it had to take like my own personal experience to actually be interested. And then when the good pep talk from Adam came, it was like, you know what, maybe I am already doing it. I can do it. I should just like verify, you know? Yeah, I have so many friends in my life who are now vegan or vegetarian or mostly that way. And they come to me often and thank me for not being pushy about uh, my my way of living or vegan eating or not trying to push that on them. And they say, I don't think I ever would have stepped into this path had I felt that sort of judgmental vibe from you or had you made, like had you pushed this on me. But because you were just like an open book and a resource I could turn to, it made it so much more accessible for them. And they're so grateful now that they took those steps. So little cheers out there for all the little plant-based enthusiast friends who are supportive and non-judgmental and judgmental out there. Killing with kindness. Killing with kindness, yes. Yay. Keeping alive with kindness. Yeah. There we go. (laughs) So uh, were you working, where where were you working at the time when you decided to become plant-based? I was uh, still with Starbucks. So I was a coffee master with Starbucks for 12 years. So from 2005. To 2016, I was just about to hit my 12-year anniversary with Starbucks, and I decided to leave. So I, everybody will witness the transformation there. That was like a big change because people were giving me a bunch of stuff at the at the time. I was eating a lot of bananas. What do you mean? <laughs> uh, they were just telling me like, oh, you can't eat that many bananas. It's not good for you. You're going to get a potassium overdose. And then through researching, I was like, well, as an adult, I would have to eat 400 bananas in 30 seconds to actually overdose <laughs> on potassium. And bananas are actually 160th place with foods with most potassium. I was just going to say, yeah, we all yeah. think. I remember watching <laughs> Honey, I Shrunk, I Shrunk the, the Kids. kids. Oh, my <laughs> gosh. <laughs> yeah. yeah, I remember watching Honey, I Shrunk the Kids, and there was like a, a fainting or something. Yeah, and then they, and they, they brought give a banana. banana. And I've always thought Same. that bananas are what I need if I'm deficient in potassium or if I'm feeling lightheaded. And that is not the case. I could eat any leafy green. And kiwis are huge in potassium and even mushrooms are like no calories, all protein and potassium. Wow. Michelle and I don't eat mushrooms. Oh my God. They're my favorite. (laughs) Okay. You need to dine with us because you can have all of our extra mushrooms that we'll get on the side. Oh my gosh. If we go to Shoki, you will have so many. There's this ramen place in Sacramento that Michelle and I love. But what we get has a ton of mushrooms, like half mushrooms. And I always feel bad not getting the mushrooms because I feel like I'm paying the same amount and not getting the mushrooms. And so it just makes me feel bad. Uh, so I love going with someone who eats mushrooms so that I can give them all the mushrooms that I paid for. Did I didn't mention this to you probably because we were talking about the Impossible Burger the whole time. Do you, you girls didn't know that Shoki's my favorite restaurant in the whole world? That's what? my favorite That's, restaurant in the whole world. I Shoki. get double mushrooms in my vegan tauntaun, man. Oh, oh my gosh. God. We should go. Tony and gets get double noodles. Triple. I get triple extra noodles. <gasps> triple extra And super extra noodles. spicy. Oh yeah. Because the triple extra noodles is only 10 ounces and I normally eat 16 ounces of noodles when I eat at home. Oh so with gosh. the corn and the mushrooms, like lately I've been getting double. But I um, eat double. Like I just if I'm gonna go out and do stuff with people with all of the toppings, like the double mushrooms and the corn and stuff. And then we always get vegan cabbage before. Oh, my brother gets the cabbage. I had never had it the last time I, I got it. It's him. good. It's a sea, a sea salt-based mm-hmm. soy as opposed to, like, I don't know why they would put fish oil in a cabbage normally, but. I bring everyone who comes and visits me to that restaurant because it's also my favorite. And every time I'm there, I'm always bragging about Tony and her double noodles, thinking that she's such a badass. She totally and is. Now I'm Nobody gonna be I like, know gets extra noodles in there. Now she's been shown up. Now I'm going to be like, noodles. I have this friend, Sean, and he orders triple noodles. <laughs> you know, it's funny is like uh, back in the day before I moved to Sacramento, when I used to, I used to go to Shoki like five days a week what? when I worked. I worked at Hook and Ladder back in the day when they first opened six years ago now this month. And then I was working 70 hours a week and so I had as much money as I could ever want working there and Starbucks full time. And so I would eat at Shoki three to five times a week. But I used to get the regular Tauntaun men then in those days. And, you know, eating that much food, I would pass out afterwards with the beef <laughs> broth on top of the noodles. And like they had a, a, a hard boiled egg at the time. And, you know, before I was plant based, I ate eggs all the time because I thought they were healthy. And 
I just like the whole like um, dynamic of having it in the soup. And yeah. So question. I feel like for a lot of people, especially people who grew up without a lot of money, maybe not being able to eat exciting, expensive food or eat out at restaurants, when they get to a point in life where they have a career, they have money, they can afford to eat whatever they want, the idea of then limiting some of those things, not being able to eat fancy foie gras or whatever, um, even though they've made it to that point, is a challenge in people's heads. So how do you, do you feel like you're sacrificing by not being able to eat those foods or how does that make you feel? I don't feel like I'm sacrificing anything besides like detriment to my health. Yeah. Um, I feel so great every day and you know, I never felt great then being able to eat that food. It was just like, oh, it tastes so good. But then I always felt horrible afterwards. And I never understood that because that was a normal thing every day. Whenever I'd go eat that one thing that I wanted to eat, you know, you go do some big workout and then you go to In-N-Out afterwards and get a four by four with animal style fries. You don't feel good after that. You're just like, oh my God, these flavors I need to eat. And then afterwards, you're just like in a haze and you're just, everything stops. Nowadays, when I go, and do a workout and then I'll either do like a really nice recovery smoothie with like blueberries and strawberries and bananas or I'll eat pasta or you know a burrito bowl or something and I have energy to go and maybe do my laundry and fold it or I I don't feel like crap you know I did a five-hour race two Saturdays ago and afterwards I had everything prepared I had the right food beforehand and I felt strong the whole time and I haven't raced all year it was my first bike race of the year and it was a really intense race. <laughs> so, I mean, you know, it's what you are putting in your body, like you were saying earlier with the track, it, it like tells its own story as you go along with experience. And, you know, I wouldn't be running right now anymore, or I wouldn't be running Boston in April if I hadn't switched to a plant-based what? diet. You're running Boston in April? Oh yeah. I just got the confirmation email last week. Congratulations. That's they amazing. Had to, like, verify that I uh, did CIM in a proper time. Qualified. I ran my first marathon in December. And then I, qualified for Boston? Yeah, so when I was a kid, I, I just heard somebody maybe tell me that a three-hour marathon was fast. So I just told myself as a kid, like, I can run a three-hour marathon. I'm good enough to run a three-hour marathon. And I didn't run, but I just told myself that I could do it. Um, I think that when I was a kid, if I would have had someone to inspire me and push me, I probably could have got a scholarship to any school because I think that I was really fast as a kid. Like, I was the fastest kid at baseball tryouts but still was like the kid sitting in the corner with no friends with the payless cleats. And, <laughs> you know, I never got to hit a home run besides in practice. I hit one, you know, and I stood in the outfield. So I was just super low self-esteem as a kid. But, um, you know, nine years ago I ran for the first time and somebody's like, what are you doing? Like, like, how did you just run that fast? I was like, I don't know. I just bought the shoes at Ross and I went out and I ran. I didn't know how fast to run. I just ran as fast as I could for four miles. They're like, you need to do like the Thanksgiving round. You could win money. And I just never took them up on it because I wasn't doing it because I wanted to is because I started cycling and I love the idea of exercise. And then, you know, um, I did within the, the third day I ran, I ran 13 miles with uh, my friend who was like the sheriff of the Stockton PD. And he ran, I don't know, six miles a day every day since he was like 18. He was in like the Navy and stuff. And then that led to doing my first half marathon Avenue of the Vines in Lodi. My first month of running and did it in under an hour and a half. And my buddy who owned Fleet Feet was like, dude, Remy, you should be running. And I just never took anybody up on it. So for the last nine years, I ran once or twice a year, maybe maybe 10 times a year, but like 15 minutes or every six months, I'll go out and run 10 miles. And <laughs> uh, so last year I was like, okay, my sponsors are going to take me to CIM. So I was like, okay, I'm going to actually train like I would on a bike. So I ran 20 times before CIM. Um, it started out with a 15 minute run and a six and a half mile three times a week. So I got used to that feeling. And that was like pretty achievable for me. 15 minutes isn't very long. And I knew that I could run faster than that. But it's all about consistency of holding that. So three times a week, the next week, I did it um, 30 minutes, two times a week. And then after that, it was I would do like a warm up run the day before and do 45 minutes at that time. And then the next week would be an hour at that time, one time a week only. So these are six and a half minute miles. Yeah. And for anyone listening, that is really hard to do for one mile. I'm actually kind of upset at you because I've been running a lot for like six months. I've been running like, I don't know. For, for me, it feels like a lot, like maybe 10 miles a week or something. But I have Strava, which you also have, which yeah. is a running GPS app. 
And so I'm like trying to keep my mile time and feeling like all good about myself. And then I met you and I found you on Strava and followed you. And like when I got really excited about getting my top mile time, I looked at yours and I was like, oh, <laughs> I'm like, that's great though. You got your top mile time. You. Yeah. But six and a half minute miles is phenomenal. And to hold that mile after mile is just Thanks. like insane. And also for those who are not runners, my one and only miserable marathon time was five hours. And I was so proud. I was crying and I you was finished. like, I finished. Oh my <laughs> gosh. I thought I was going to die. And it was such a success for me that I, I can't even imagine what doing it in two hours less time would feel like. Well, yeah. I have so much respect for the people that are doing it in five hours and six hours, because if you think about it, people are like, how did you run in under three hours? And I was, I, I'm used to doing those on my bike, you know, that doesn't mean that you're a fast runner if you ride a bike, definitely, because I have plenty of friends who ride bikes who can't even touch a seven minute mile. But in my head, it's, you know, under a three hour workout's not that much. Or if I went out and ran for an hour, I know how to go out and push myself for an hour of intensity. It's just all about me going out and like running so that I have the form because when you're running on form, that's way better than running off form. Like if I go out and run for an hour right now, I might be able to do a six minute mile for an hour but I'm going to be really trash afterwards. My body's going to be messed up. But back to what I was going to say is um, I know people who ran it in like six something. And I have so much respect because six plus hours running sounds so gnarly on your legs and your knees <laughs> that yes, I might've ran it fast, but imagine how much longer you had to go through that on your knees. Like I just feel like doing it longer would be more detrimental to like your recovery and your body because you're enduring it for longer. Yeah, as that, opposed to faster. That sounds right. <laughs> okay, so let's go back to the restaurant. Okay. Um, so you were working at Starbucks, mm -hmm. and you were serving up dairy products there. Did you have to taste it? Did you, like, how did you, when, when a new product came out, how did that work we, for you? We don't have to taste at Starbucks. Oh. Um, I, I mean, we get a brochure, and it's like, you know, I there was a girl who, it was against her religion to drink coffee. Um prior to me working my it's one of like the best stories i've heard my manager was like i had the best coffee master who had never tasted coffee because she read the material and she was passionate about it but she just didn't drink it because it was against religion so i mean you can know stuff without tasting it same thing at the restaurant now i do taste alcoholic beverage with a straw it's a drop i don't drink personally so um but if it has like dairy or anything in it i won't you know or egg i won't taste it but um it's just like a quality assurance thing i know how it's supposed to taste okay so you were at starbucks okay how long did okay. you work how long did you continue working there and then when did you move over to the restaurant industry i moved back to the restaurant in three years ago so so right when you became vegan yeah like right right after okay so yeah right after in january of 2016, I went to the restaurant. And were your bosses concerned? Like, did they did they know you were vegan? Because you work at a restaurant that doesn't serve it at that time, especially was not vegan friendly. They didn't uh, know be at first because I just didn't say anything. I, you know, nobody was ever like, oh hey. And then one day, somebody we did family meal back then. We would do family meal every day, and they're like, oh Remy, try this. And I was like, no, thank you. And they're like, oh what? You don't want it? It's really good. And I was just like, no, it's good. And they're like well, why don't you want any? And I was, oh, I'm vegan. So, you know, I don't eat that. It has egg in it. And then just like shortly after that, everybody just knew. And then everybody would see me bringing my meals. It's really funny because a lot of people who are not vegan have that saying that's like, how do you, how do you know someone's <laughs> vegan? They'll tell you. Yeah. But for me, I very rarely bring it up. And it's always other people are like, <laughs> why, why, why don't you want this? Why don't you want this? Why don't you want this? And then I'm like, oh, because I don't eat animal products <laughs> and and sometimes a, a long time ago especially when I was more sensitive to making that a big part of my identity uh I I would be like oh well I I don't eat milk I don't eat meat I don't eat eggs and they'd be like so you're a vegan and I'd be like yeah, <laughs> I'm a vegan. Uh, so, but now I, I I don't care, and veganism is much like much more cool than it was back then, and it was it was such a like a big negative connotation the word vegan. So I was very sensitive to it for a while. Yeah, but 
I I find that experience more realistic where you're like, oh, no, thank you. I'll pass. Not right now. And then you're like, but why? 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 It's weird because when I first started, you know, they just did family meal and it was whatever. Well, there was one other person that was vegan at the restaurant at the time. And then a girl that who had eaten plant-based prior, but then stopped because she was working so much actually went back to plant-based because she's seen how much I was working and how, how much I did it every day. My buddy owns a restaurant and was like, Hey, you guys need to start like making stuff for like that Remy can eat. And if there's anybody else that's vegan, but I feel like once I started there, they started doing like, Oh, here's here. You guys could have fries at family meal, you know? Right. Because they only catered, they just made one type of meal, so it was always like pulled pork or whatever. Do you think it was because you're so positive and cool that they wanted to accommodate you? They liked you as a person, yeah. and I, I think I just make it more approachable, maybe because everybody else is so quiet about it, and maybe like not ashamed, but they don't want the attention. Yeah. And for me, it's like this is great. Why wouldn't I want to share it? You know? Yeah. Why and, would? And when you say why wouldn't you want to share it? How do you share it? What is your approach that's different? Uh, I don't know. I feel like everything I, after changing to eat that way, I didn't share how I ate before. You know, I wasn't like, oh yeah, I'm, I eat meat, you know? Like I didn't go around telling people that. I never felt good. But yeah, I've always like, for somewhat like the last 10 years had like a positive attitude. And once I found out how it's nice to be your own person and, you know, like do what you want to do, it's just an easier way of life. But Inside, I didn't feel like healthy. So at work, do you make it a point to encourage people to eat plant-based or do you just share your own experiences and how beneficial they've been to you? Yeah, I share my own experiences and I try to keep it on the minimal. Like at first I would talk about it a lot. I already talk a lot in general. So like trying to preach veganism at work, they have me there to sell drinks and serve people. So I try not to get into it too much because I don't. I'm not there for that. So, and also I don't want to make somebody feel bad for what they're eating at the restaurant where I work, you know? So can you paint a picture of the restaurant where you work and what you do there? Okay. Uh, hook and ladder. It's about, it's like, I would say American cuisine. Some people say it's expensive. I personally like know how cheap it is to eat. So it is on the pricier side, but not compared to a lot of the other restaurants. Our Impossible Burger is $2 cheaper than anywhere I've seen in Sacramento, which is kind of cool. And um, super nice. It's a little dark for my preference, um, but it has a nice setting. And I love the back patio. As you said earlier, it's got great lighting and the atmosphere. It's like one of my favorite things about the decor of the restaurant. It may be my favorite patio in Sacramento. It's a beautiful, it's a just wholly beautiful restaurant. Very trendy. Very, it seems like just such a, a popular trendy. And it's very place. green. Like the the back patio has plants and like it's, it's it's very it's very pretty to look at. I I hosted uh, a birthday party there and some other celebration. I can't remember. The only patio that I I like just a, a step below, I think, is the Revolution Wine Patio. The front patio, the ceiling. The front have, patio. Right? Okay, yeah, no, it's great. Yeah. Um. So we have an an amazing florist, Megan, who comes and makes sure the plants are good on Sundays. I'll be doing brunch and she'll come in and get a coffee and she'll just be there like working away at the plants, making sure they're maintained and. She does a really great job. Really nice girl. Okay, so back to what you do. Um, I'm a bartender at Hook and Ladder. And before that, I've been doing it now for a year and a half. And I bartended there for maybe seven months back in the day when I worked there five years ago. But um, I, when I came back in January 2016, I was busing again from the bottom. And I just wanted to be a part of the restaurant because I loved how they made me feel there. They made me feel like family. And, you know, I didn't have a ton of bartending experience. They had just offered that when I worked there prior because I was doing such a great job. So um, I just started as busser and then I did some expo and I would bartend uh, banquet events upstairs, private events. And then it transferred last August back into me just speaking up to the new bar manager saying, like, can I help behind the bar to get some extra hours? And then her finding out that I actually wanted to get back behind the bar again. And she thought it'd be a, a great fit. So now I bartend full time there. So can you talk a little bit about the type of food served there, how vegan-friendly it was when you first started there, and how that made you feel as a vegan? When I first started working there, there wasn't anything vegan. <laughs> I don't think it bothered me because I already didn't eat out a lot. I, I'd already known, like, 
I brought my food to work already just from like researching and knowing with Starbucks, I would be bringing my food always to work. But what about serving serving the animal products? Well, you were vegan mostly for health too. So it wasn't really an ethical thing at that point for right. you? Right. At first yeah. it was mainly because I always, people always say, don't say it's for self, selfish reasons, but it was because of my health, you know, for, at first. Yeah. And then I watched all the videos that I didn't want to watch as a kid or not as a kid, but like in the past, um, I didn't want to watch those because I didn't want to see that stuff. And then watching it, I immediately made a decision. That was my ultimate factor after like before deciding to go vegan was I watched, you know, Cowspiracy and like Earthlings and all that. And yeah. that was intense. Yeah. And I just was like, OK, I'm going to do this because the fish are suffering just as much. You know, you see them mm-hmm. suffocating on the deck. And I didn't realize that it, it's, you're blind to it until you see it. Right. So you realize that those types of products are contributing to not great things in the world. Um, did, was there ever any ethical conflict in your mind and heart as you were at a restaurant that pretty much that's everything they sold? Yeah. I, I didn't have to serve at the restaurant, so it wasn't so bad. I mean, I cleaned plates and stuff. I was bussing, so I was just setting up the table and then cleaning it up afterwards. It wasn't that bad. Starbucks, I kind of wanted out once we started getting these things called like the egg sous vide. So we had to cook these like poached eggs in the oven. It was like bacon and egg and then there was like cheese. And I kind of just was getting fed up with people coming in because I all the stuff I learned everybody's like, are there any carbs in those eggs? I can't have any carbs right now. They'd be miserable. And I'm just like, do this anymore. <laughs> I, it's just people being misled and it's okay. You know, you have to learn through your experience. But once I had to start serving eggs at Starbucks, like like real eggs for breakfast, I was just kind of over it. I was like, I don't want to do this anymore. I'm I'm passionate about coffee, but I don't want to be in this. So I just decided to leave. And when I left for Thailand, I was like, I'm not coming back. And now do you serve food? I do serve food now. So it doesn't necessarily bother me so much. The one thing that bothers me the most on the uh, daily basis is I just, I can't stand the smell of fish and chips. To me, it smells like chemical, like they washed it in bleach or something. It's wild Alaskan cod. So apparently it's going to smell like fish. Lately, people were like, oh, it smells like fish in here. This smells bad. And I'm like, oh, I just thought that's how fish smelt. And they're like, had someone return it. And they're like, would you eat this? And I was like, oh, I don't eat fish. And he's like, <laughs> oh, what are you, vegetarian? I was like, actually, I'm vegan. And he's like, oh, I'm sorry. I was like, oh, don't be. It's it's my body. And then so he's like, yeah, I'll just take the burger. I was like, okay, cool. He's like, medium rare. And I was, <sighs> so it's just stuff like that. Um, there's one incident that, there's two incidents at the restaurant that I only talked to a couple people about that really like opened my eyes and really made me feel uncomfortable in a way. So I was working one night when I was busing right before I became bartender again. And I walked into the back to go fill water pitchers and they had a half of a pig on the table, which I've never seen at the restaurant because it's always just like they get stuff like small and it's already like dissected. And this was like a whole half of a pig. So it was like, I, a pig was standing and they just cut it in the middle. Down Front the half, half or back half? The whole pig. So long ways. Oh, God. So, I mean, I walk into the back and I just see the whole inside of a pig. And in my head, I was just like, what the? And I acted like I didn't really like, like it was just normal. And I walked and turned my back to fill the waters across the room. But I was just like, what if that was me on the table? That looks like a, a human. Like pigs, you like people say yeah, they're like close to a human, but yeah, I was like that. I was like, what if that was my body laying down on the table and you just seen half of my body split in half? Like that could be me. And like someone made a joke like, hey, who wants uh, pork chops for dinner tonight? As they're like cutting up the thing, I was like, how is this normal? You're cutting this animal up and you're saying like, hey, let's make pork chops. And it was just so graphic. And I just didn't really want to talk to anybody about it because I didn't want anybody at work to let know it bothered me. But I just told a friend about it. But then a second time, maybe in the last like four months or so, they had gotten another pig and then they had the pig's head. So when I walked into the walk-in, the head itself was in a pot. And then someone on a piece of tape, I don't know who did it, but I didn't tell anybody because I obviously, I feel like they did it to like get somebody, a rise out of somebody. It said vegan special, do not touch. 
Uh-uh. And it was just like the pig's nose sticking out of the water, but it was like the whole face. So what they did is they cooked down the head and did whatever with it. But um, I, I would just like, Oh, sorry. <laughs> it was it was intense. It was you know, I'd never seen anything like that prior, you know? And uh I mean, I maybe in like Thailand, you would see like the animals on the street like when they were serving serving it up or whatever, you could buy like a pig's head, but it was like flies all over it and it wasn't as real. Like this pig looked like it had just like straight up gotten killed and like came in and it was it was like straight after death. And so it just really like hit me and I was like, oh man, what am I doing? Like, I don't want to see this stuff on the normal, but I haven't seen anything since, you know, you hear about it and you talk about it, but when you see it behind the scenes, like, you know, I feel like if people seen that, I mean, some people would be like, oh, cool. Yeah, we're going to try it. I think, I think about my own family and our relationships to our companion animals, our dogs, our cats, and even the animals that they see at petting zoos where they like pet the goat or they pet the pig and they're really excited, especially right now around the, um, like the pumpkin patch season where people go and hang out with all these animals, but then have this huge disconnect. It, it took me a while to recognize it, but those experiences, especially that you have where you, you saw a dead animal is really powerful. I worked at a sanctuary and part of my job was educating people on animal, like what happens to animals and showing the live animal saying this animal was rescued from this place. And so many people had no idea that that kind of suffering existed. It's uh, it's intense. It's a lot to handle, I feel like. And I can only imagine for a child. I had my daughters watch some of Earthlings. Their mom was really angry with me, but. I just wanted them to know because, I mean, I don't know if I could handle it as a kid, but I couldn't handle it as an adult. But I wanted them to see because my daughter wanted to eat plant based, my oldest. And she was they were bawling. So I turned it off. But I mean, you know, maybe I shouldn't have showed it to him, but I'm I'm a parent. So I got to, you know, trial and error. You got to just test the waters, I guess. And what do you want to like? How do you like do you end up compartmentalizing the stuff that you've seen at, at the restaurant? Um, yeah, I don't know. I, I just know this is right now, like, this is what I got to do. You know, um, a lot of people ask me like, Hey, you don't drink or you're vegan. Why do you work here? And in my head, it's like, well, I'm not going to make money selling bananas. I have to make a living. I have to have a place to live and, you know, support my kids. And this allows me to do that. The people at the establishment, at the establishment, they treat me right. And they make me, they give me a good atmosphere to work. And, you know, they allow me to live my lifestyle, which is be an athlete or go on trips and just adventure and have fun. So it's a, it's a nice job. And like, you know, it's, there's no vegan restaurant in town. If there was, I would love to work at a vegan restaurant. You know, that'd be awesome. It'd be perfect for me. But, but there's not. And if there, there are a couple of places that are like almost fully plant-based with like vegetarian options, but that's not going to pay my bills, you know? And also what I think Michelle is getting at is, yes, uh, it, you have taken lemons and made lemonade out of the situation. When we met you, there were amazing vegan options on the menu. We ordered the Impossible Burger, which was incredible. And there were some other specials that were also vegan. And you had said, these didn't exist before, but I helped bring them on the menu. So that's amazing. I want to hear all about that. <laughs> so... We didn't have any vegan options on the menu when I first started there. And so if you wanted, if you came in and you're just like, oh, hey, I'm vegan or vegetarian, they would just like tweak the menu for you, which, you know, a few years ago, that was pretty much normal. It was like the standard. Mm -hmm. And then when Matt Macera came on, he's not there anymore, but he was there for a short time. He was the chef at Mother, which he had already had a plant-based background and doing some cooking. So um, he had brought some options because I was there. So we were testing like a vegan hook and ladder burger. So my friend, who's the owner, we went and did a race. And then after the race, we stopped at Whole Foods and Folsom and got um, vegan A's and some vegan cheese. And he made us the vegan Calabrian chili aioli without, with the vegan A's instead of mayo and no egg. And we used the Beyond patty. And we made the hook and ladder burger. At the time, they were doing two thin patties. 
which with two Beyond Burgers, that's huge. It's like 40 grams of protein just for the meat. <laughs> so I couldn't even finish my fries with it, but we were testing out stuff. And because people would see me, I'd be bringing meals every day to work. They're like, you're going to eat all that, that pasta right now? Dude, I'm in a 15-hour day. Like, I need the calories to process everything I'm doing. And then tomorrow, I got to do it all over. So I'm always consuming. And yeah, so we had started like trying to get on the menu. I was like, we need to do this on the menu. And my friend who owns a restaurant was seeing the different changes in me, but also had a friend who worked at the Sack B, who was a food critic who had went plant-based. And he is in his late 40s, at least. And he had witnessed a huge change. Like he had a ton of weight loss and like health and his girlfriend as well. And she's all of a sudden had like these pro stats in bike racing, like, and started doing really well. And you could just see her change in like nine months. So between those two, they started like trying to do a vegan menu if it was asked for. So they had a small menu. And then when our chef left, we had gotten our new chef who's there to this day. And I was a little worried because we were talking about doing a vegan burger and then it didn't happen. But in a way, I'm kind of glad it waited because we weren't going to be able to get the Impossible Burger for whatever reason at that time. And they were going to do the Beyond Burger, but they were talking about how expensive it was. So I had suggested since they're doing two thin patties to slice the Beyond in half. And so then therefore it'd be better on cost, but then also wouldn't be as heavy. And it would just be 20 grams of protein, which is perfect um, from the patty. And... um once we waited, we were able to get the Impossible Burger. And then that's how the whole menu started with the chickpea fritter that came out last year, Thanksgiving week. That was the first thing that was like legit, the oldest vegan thing on our menu. I tried it the day before it got put on the menu coming in to share my vegan mac and cheese from my Friendsgiving that I did. Yeah. And I uh, was super stoked on it. Everybody loves the fritter. And then all of a sudden, this like whole menu formed. And then they did the cavatelli. I don't think you girls got to try that. That's no, not on the I menu anymore. And I was but... like, oh, that looks so good. Excuse me. It was pretty good. They do the Cavatelli in-house and they use this little machine. It's, it's been on the story a few times of Galise um, cranking out the pasta. It's pretty cool. I, I have another question that's a little bit irrelevant. Uh, so you said that they took something off the menu. If Michelle and I go every day or every time that we're in there, say, hey, will you please bring that back? How powerful is that? How powerful is is it when con consumers of of the restaurant ask for something? So if a lot of vegans go in there and say, I want more vegan options, is that powerful? I hope so. I would think it would be because, you know, during the Vegan Chef Challenge. Oh, by the way, the Vegan Chef Challenge in Sacramento is a challenge where our friend uh, Bethany Davis and and team went to all these restaurants that were really popular and awesome and well loved by everybody, and were like, "Okay, yeah, you're you're a tasty, popular restaurant, but can you do vegan?" And they challenged them in a contest where people can go try their vegan menu and vote. So that's that's the Vegan Chef Challenge. I I think when we had the Vegan Chef Challenge. We had a huge number of people coming, and I was blown away by how many people were coming in for the vegan challenge. I already knew that people that weren't vegan wanted to try it because they were interested, but the number of people who were actually vegan, I didn't know existed. Because in Sacramento, I think everybody before last year was afraid to say they were vegan. <laughs> because going around, anybody that I knew that wasn't around California, they were like, Remy, you're like in the Mecca. And I was like, LA is like six hours away. I don't know anybody that's vegan. I have a couple friends that have chose to go plant-based and I have a friend who lives in Yosemite who's been vegan, you know, for like a year or so longer than me. And it's just not common. We think. Yeah. I swear to God, every time I go to Whole Foods, someone stops me and says, I'm vegan too. And I'm like, how did you even know I'm vegan? And like, maybe they saw videos or whatever, but it just seems like they're out there just not talking about it. But you have proof of that now, how yeah. many there are. It, it was insane because literally the last vegan chef challenge we did in you know, earlier in the year, our, it was insane. Our, um, impossible burgers, we actually didn't sell the most. I found out after I'd seen you girls there, I was in, I was blown away because we did 782 impossible burgers for the month, which That's is a, a lot. lot. This other place sold apparently like 1200 or something, Whoa. but I, I learned, so I don't know how accurate it was, but I learned it was just like, how much would you say you sold? And so it was more of a guesstimation. 
So with your 700 that month, how does that compare to the other items on the menu that month? That month, for sure, Impossible Burger like topped everything. Definitely. I mean, it was being promoted a tremendous amount. We had just gotten our new media team, and they've been doing so great since. They're so involved, and they've just been crushing it. I'm like really proud because people are coming in left and right saying, regardless if it's for the Impossible Burger or whatever it is, oh, I seen this on Facebook, or I seen this on your story. And it's becoming more personable, like, oh, this is Remy's drink. We want to come in and have, we want to talk to the guy who made this drink. So people are like, you know, they're really like drawn to that. You know, it's crazy because to get a new customer into a restaurant through traditional advertising is expensive. But by just adding a vegan option onto a restaurant menu that's not traditionally super vegan, there's so much just free buzz that goes around that. And so many new people who, are going to come into the restaurant for the very first time. And like I went in there and now I can't wait to go back and bring Dan. And it's just like you get these new lifelong supportive customers because of that, because you're selling something that it doesn't take really any extra cost or money or, or anything to yeah. bring it on. And I'm super excited about initiatives like the Vegan Chef Challenge because it introduces us to new restaurants that we think are totally unvegan friendly. And Hook and Ladder is on there, is on there. And so someone like Michelle, who is new to Sacramento, doesn't really know the restaurant scene, can look at this list that has vegan friendly restaurants that are not known for being vegan friendly and think, oh, I'm going to try that because this place recommends it. That is the Vegan Chef Challenge. And so, yeah. And, and what is also really cool about that is that restaurants see, they're able to see what like how vegans come in huge masses when they put a vegan option and when it's promoted properly. Yeah, that's awesome. And a lot of these places end up keeping at least one of their vegan dishes. So that's really cool. I don't right? think the Impossible Burger is going anywhere. I just hope that we can see something. Um, I would like to upgrade it in a way. My favorite thing was tomatoes and tomatoes went out of season already. Like, So without the tomatoes, it's not quite what it was before. I feel like that was a huge component for me. I love putting a lot of veggies on it but um, opportunity for chef to get creative totally yeah, i would like to see some a cheese in the future maybe even like i'm okay without it yeah. but i know a lot of people ask for the cheese they're like when are you gonna get vegan cheese again so i've been trying to push for that that's awesome i think your story of entering a space that's not at all vegan friendly that's really sort of subliminally bullying you putting Big heads calling out the vegan. Um, I'm sure in good jest, but that can of course be hurtful. And you you sticking through and just being a positive attitude, a light in the space, and being open to conversation and encouraging new items on the menu is so inspiring. And it is something that all of us have the power to do, um, especially those who are working in restaurants, um, to take that opportunity to inspire some new restaurant items and positive change. But like even more generally, a lot of a lot of people so instead of focusing on the negative, like you might live somewhere that's not vegan friendly. When I first went vegan, I was in Cleveland, Ohio, and it's like not vegan friendly. And one could look at that situation and be like, "Man, this was the worst place to go vegan. It was really hard. There were a lot of challenges." But I saw it the opposite way. Oh my gosh, I'm in a place where there's so much opportunity to inspire change. You know, like I can go leafleting and. Most of the people I reach have never heard of factory farming. And, you know, I there's so many restaurants that with just a little bit of TLC would love to bring on some new options. So, like, there's just so many opportunities out there, especially if you're in a situation that seems particularly challenging. I bet there's a way to flip it to make it a positive. Yeah. And I'm so grateful that you came on to our podcast to share your experience. I feel like it can be an overwhelming decision especially if you work in a job that doesn't seem accommodating. As I mentioned, I was a nanny and I didn't want to lose my access to my free meal. And a lot of people work in restaurants and you can't quit your job because you changed your diet. And and so you sharing your experience and showing that you can have influence with a positive attitude and you can make it so that the other people who maybe aren't as vocal as you can have options for vegan food in the family meal or what or whatever the situation is. Uh, so thank you so much for coming on and sharing your very, very positive attitude and experiences. I really appreciate it. 
Yes, same. And uh, for those listening, if you feel inspired by Sean, who, how could you not? He's amazing. Um, I recently started following your YouTube channel where you share like your meals and your kind of athletic journey and you're on Instagram. So can you tell us a little bit about where people can find you and maybe get some more of that inspiration? Yeah. So um, all of my social media handles are Sean Remy. It's S-H-A-W-N-R-E-M-Y. Uh, I always got my name spelled S-E-A-N as a kid. So I always just mm-hmm. go by Remy. It's a little more uh, like easy to remember. Sean Remy on social media. Yeah. And uh, yeah, I just uh, share my journey as a plant-based athlete and basically like first chapter till I turn 40 and then and then on from there. Cool. And I'll drop the, those down in the show notes on our website. Mm-hmm. And we generally end the podcast asking if you have anything inspiring that you'd like to share with our listeners. Um, well, one thing I remember I said that you guys liked that I don't think made it into the our audio got messed up, but um, just remember when anybody tells you something's impossible, impossible stands for I'm possible. Oh, I love That's that. very sweet. <laughs> All right. Thank you. Thank, thank you, you so much, Sean. Thank you so much for listening to our episode. As always, you can find the show notes over at plantpoweredpodcast.com with links to everything we mentioned today. And we absolutely love when you guys leave us reviews. So if you want to leave us a review on iTunes, we would so appreciate it. And don't forget to subscribe wherever you listen to podcasts. Thanks again. We'll see you on the next one. Bye.